0: So joining me today is uh, a man I met virtually about a month ago, Chris Noggle. And when we met, I was like, uh, dude, we need to talk offline. And, uh, and we ended up speaking at this event down in uh, Arizona about three weeks ago. <clears throat> and we didn't get much time to talk, but we grabbed lunch at one point. And we were with a bunch of other business people bullshitting like business people do. And then at some point I said, you ready to talk business, Chris? He said, yes. And then we began talking about the 1041 Trust's Foundation System and then a little bit about what he does. And we glazed everybody's eyes over it. It was really fun to be able to pitch and catch with somebody in this system at a high level. Chris, a lot of these folks on this call are either clients of mine that are in the 1041 system or they're considering it. And so um, a little bit about Chris. Chris, believe it or not, he's a financial guru now, but he used to be a professional snowboarder. So um, if you ever, if you need an autograph, let me know. I'll, I'll make sure we get one um, next time we, when we're on the mountain, Chris, you're going to sign my board. I know that. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to you. And, um, and he, Chris is going to show you guys how you can rapidly become your own bank. So I'll turn Absolutely. it over to you.
1: Well, good. This is an honor. And uh, you know, I thought I was going to be doing this <clears throat> in 30 minutes, uh, which would have been a, not a record, but would have been a challenge. So I'm excited. I don't have to, yeah, I got to, Pretty interesting background, early adopter to being an entrepreneur at 16, went on to spend 16 years in Wall Street, Uh, got a little too deep into the Wall Street world, uh, quote unquote, and uh, saw a lot of things I didn't like, sold my practice in 2018, and uh, then I uh, started doing what I'm doing today, and me and my wife uh, have done lots of real estate. We had a show on HGTV called Risky Builders in 2018. And there's a lot more, but you know, I don't want to waste a whole lot of time. I kind of want to just jump right in. And the cool part is, if all of you are already doing the 1041 system. I also do. Uh, I'm about a year. This, you know, this would be my first year uh, doing it. So it's it's been an exciting thing. But I've been around it now for almost five years. Uh, my business partner has been using the 1041 tax structure ever since the day I met him. And he's been telling me to do it over and over. But the the one that I'm working with and, and you know, me and JP know the same person um, to, to work with them. You got to have like north of a one hundred thousand dollar federal tax bill. Um, so it wasn't something that was applicable while I was doing real estate. because I was always capturing depreciation and everything else. But the beauty about what you're going to learn today is. Well, the beauty is, is this is nothing new. It's actually fairly simple, but this works within the 1041 tax system better than just about anything. Um, you know, this is not oil and water. This is pretty much the best fit. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna share my slides. I might do this a little different. I'm gonna bounce around between slides and the whiteboard, just have some fun with it. I Hopefully you guys are okay with that, but uh, let's dive right into this thing. So the big thing we're gonna talk about today is going to be, how to become your own bank. Come on, slide. There we go. Basically, how to be your own bank. We'll talk about your money, talk about your wealth, but we'll mostly talk about how you can do something like all the wealthiest families in history have done, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the J.P. Morgans, the Stanleys. They've all used this right up to the sitting president, love him or hate him, uh, He uses this as well, but uh, it is very simple. I got a nice little video that kind of sums it up, so I'm going to play that next. There you go get out of here i'm not banking with you not you not you nope nope i'm gonna be my own bank i'm not banking with you uninterrupted compound interest start your infinite banking policy today bye bye big banks so we have a lot of fun we make all sorts of funny videos and You know, I think when me and JP met, I played another one. But uh, if you guys want to see those, those are all on my YouTube channel. They're great. I always start with this slide, you know, 5%. You know, why do I begin with this? Because I truly believe that there is only one difference between success and failure. And that difference is very simple. And it is a difference that, you know, there was a study done many years ago. And if you've ever heard Earl Nightingale's Strangest Secret in the World, he talks about this. They took 125-year-olds. And they asked them all one single solitary question <clears throat> Will you be successful at the age of retirement? And obviously, you all know the answer. Every one of those 25 year olds said, Absolutely, without a doubt, no question. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a billionaire. But you see, what happened is when they actually studied it and they went to when these individuals, these 25, 100 or these 125 uh, year olds, when they got to retirement age, something different happened. You see, only five out of those 100 were actually financially successful at the age of retirement. The other 95% were not. Some of them were at different stages of what we would all deem as poverty. But then the question came up is, what was the difference between the successful and the, the non-successful, the 5% and the other 90, 95%? And it came down to one simple thing. And, and this is unique because every single one of you on this call today are the 5% because you're all creators. The difference between success and failure was creation. That is it. No ifs, ands, or buts. Cause the 95%, when you look at what they did different, they conformed. They conformed to somebody else's failed realities, failed dreams, failed plan. They never created their own plan. So I'm going to show you, and we already kind of talked a little bit about myself. I'm going to show you the plan that the wealthy use. And hopefully some of you have already heard about this. Maybe I shed some light on actually how it works. It's it's gone by many names. I mean, back you know, when in its early days with the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, they would have called this privatized banking in today's world that, you know, our Nelson Nash deemed it called infinite banking concept, which is nothing to do with a product. It's all about a process. But every time I show this, there's always somebody in the crowd that, you know, is, is that person is that 95 percenters that's listening to what everybody else is telling them and, and thinks, you know, all, oh, there's no way that's true. Well, I always played that. I always show this. You know, this is Will Rogers. You all know who he is. And he said the biggest problem in America is not what people don't know. He goes on to say the biggest problem in America is what people think they know that just ain't so. And, you know, that is so true. I'll take you back to when I was a financial advisor. I remember the very first time I heard about what you're going to learn here. I was in Salt Lake City at the Cheesecake Factory downtown. I was meeting with a very well-known, successful real estate investor that lent me a lot of money in my journey on this flipping uh, stuff that I used to do. And I remember asking him, because I was an advisor at that time, and I just said to him, I said, so Mike, how do you lend all this money? Like, where does it all get lent from? And I remember him saying something to me that at first I was just (coughs) kind of glazed over. He said, I lend from my bank. And the first thing I thought was holy crap, I way underestimated how wealthy Mike is. And then I said, Mike, well, why are we at Cheesecake Factory? How come we didn't go to your bank? And he says, no, 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 no. I don't have a bank. I basically created a banking system. I mimic what the banks do. I I took back the banking function in my life. And I started you know, just asking him more and more questions. And and I'll never forget, when he finally told me what it was, which I'll tell you in just a second, I remember thinking to myself, no way, Mm mm-mm. Nope. I'm a financial advisor and it doesn't work that way. There's no way it works that way. I would have been taught this. Somebody would have shown me this. You're lying or somebody lied to you. And he leans into me very serious because I I said that to him. I said, no, that doesn't work that way. I'm I'm an advisor, Mike. I would know this. And he leans in and he says, if it doesn't work this way, how have I been doing it? And I got thinking about that. I'm like, whoa, (laughs) that's a good question there, Mike. I I guess I, I, I don't know, how do I learn about this? And he says, well, I can't teach you because I learned from this guy, Brent. And I went on to meet this guy, Brent. He made me watch a 90 minute video, which I reluctantly watched. But literally at the end of that 90 minutes, I had four pages of notes and I swear it's the closest I could have ever come to seeing God. And I, I say that loosely because I am a very faithful man. But what I mean by that is that was a pivotal moment in my life because I saw something that I truly believed impossible. I saw something that was so close to me that had been so far away that entire time. And I always start with this. This is um, basically just kind of where we check, you know, the groups, uh, you know, your knowledge level, I suppose. So I'm going to put the chat up. You guys can play along if you want. If not, I'll just give you a kind of that. But, you know, when I ask people, what is the definition of money? You know, it's a simple question. I get all sorts of weird answers. You feel free to chat it in, but, you know, what money really is, is it an exchange. It's a means of exchange. It's nothing more than that. Money for food, food for money. We're exchanging money. Money for cars, cars for money. Money for house, house for money. That's all we're ever doing, is exchanging money back and forth. And money comes in a lot of shapes and sizes. And throughout time, back to the richest man in Babylon, the Babylon days, like it was gold then. Today it's these little green fiat dollars that we actually think, uh, you know, have exclusive value, which they do because somebody told us they do. This one gets everybody. You know, what company in the world? uses compound interest if i were to ask you that most people are going to tell me banks most people are going to tell me wall street insurance companies in and in a various you know or uh, situ- a lot of different answers come out of that but really the answer is none there's not a business in the world that uses compound interest because banks don't use compound interest they pay you compound interest they charge you compound interest grocery stores don't use compound interest they move inventory there isn't a business in the world that doesn't move money Money can come in the form of inventory or anything else they're doing, services, everything's in motion. We're the only idiots that are taught to literally give up control of our money, park it somewhere and just leave it sit because we've bought into what compound interest is, which it is powerful, but there's a right and a wrong way to use it. We've been taught the wrong way. I mean, when you walk into the bank and you give the banker you know, your hard-earned dollars that you traded hours for, what do they do? Do they put it in a little box with your name on it? Absolutely not. They take your money and they make your money work for them. The bank is the master of making your money work for them because we've been stupid enough to believe that literally what we should do with our money is give it to somebody else's bank so that that bank can then make that money work for them. And in doing so, and I'll show it to you, the banks make 400 to 1300% more than you do. Go to BauerFinancial.com and you'll see that. Moving on, our dollar's worth more now or in the, in the future. Obviously, inflation's 8.3 today. The Fed will curb that down to three to two. But in in its uh, journey to destroying what it already created, because Fed created the inflation we're in, and now they've come out and said, we're going to slay the dragon. We're going to bring inflation down to two or three. And in doing that, they will successfully destroy They'll destroy Wall Street. They'll destroy the economy. They're already doing a great job at doing that. But the best part is for everybody on here, this provides an awesome opportunity. But it's because your dollars, if in your control, are the most valuable than than they ever will. Same thing with taxes. We're in the lowest tax bracket in history, so they're only going up. So we got to get control of our money, and we got to get our money moved out of an environment where it is taxed because that's a, that's a death trap. And we gotta get that money into an environment where it is operating in a tax-free environment. I love to call this kind of like an airplane. When an airplane's flying with a perpetual tailwind, that's the perfect environment for a plane to fly in. Well, in a plane, you can't decide what environment you fly in, but with your money, you can. 1041 tra- tax structures, what I'm gonna show you is a tax-free environment if you're not plugged into what JP does with the tax structure. And that retirement accounts, I mean, I'm sure all of you have evolved past 401ks, but if you haven't, let's just ask yourself a couple of questions. Why in the hell would you ever put money in a 401k? Because let's go through the things we just learned. Number one, put money in a 401k. You're giving up control of it today. Now, I don't know when your retirement date is, but it could be 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the future. Somebody else is going to be in control of your money during that period, because you certainly aren't. Because if you were in control, you would have got to pick a universe of whatever you wanted to invest that money in. When you needed that money, you'd be able to take it out without penalties and without any interference, but you can't. We do things with money we would never do with things that money buys. I mean, you'd never buy a loaf of bread, put it in your freezer, shut the door, and then wait 5, 10, 15 years to take that bread out and eat it. It'd be ruined. It'd be spoiled. It'd be freezer burned. You'd never buy a brand new dream car, your dream car, and then wait 5, 10, 15 years to drive the car. So why would we do things with our money that we wouldn't do with things that our money buys or does? Well, we wouldn't. The reason I bring these mysteries of money up is because this just shows you how much we've been lied to about money. And this is just the, the <coughs> icing on the cake. And then what I'm going to do today is I'm going to really break the thought and the, the way you look at money. And I'm going to do it just by talking in business sense, because all of you are business owners. So in your business, you take pride in your business. You put your blood, blood, sweat, and tears into your business. So let's do a little exercise. If you owned a restaurant, would you take your coworkers, your friends, your family to your restaurant? Or would you constantly go to Applebee's down the street just because they're your competitors? Of course, you'd go to your restaurant. You'd want your customers to see you dining at your restaurant. That would be a good thing. Same thing, if, if, you know, if there's women on here, if you were getting your hair cut, right? If you owned your own salon or day spa, would you go to your competitors? Or would you get your hair done and all your services done at your salon? You'd go to your salon. Gym owners, you know, if there's any gym owners. I just got done speaking out in Michigan for this gym and I asked them all this question. I said, how many of you work out in somebody else's gym every day? Not one hand that went up. I said, how many of you work out in your gym religiously every day because you want your customers to see you working out there? Every hand went up. Point made. So final question. If you owned your own bank, would you make deposits in your bank? Or would you go down the street to Wells Fargo or Bank of America? You'd make deposits in your bank. And if you needed a loan for a car, if you needed a loan for something that you wanted to buy, would you go to their bank or would you go to your bank? Of course you'd go to your bank. And if you borrowed money from your bank, would you steal from your bank? Like, Would you take the money and never pay it back? Of course not. You pay JP Morgan or you pay Bank of America or Wells Fargo or JP Morgan or any other bank out there, if you take a loan from them, you pay them back monthly with principal and interest. So if you took a loan from your bank, although you could control the terms because you own it, you'd always pay your bank back. You'd never ever steal from your bank because you would treat your money the same way you treat the other bank's money. The question then I pose to you is if you did truly own your own bank, would you really do all those things? Well, let's get into it. All these faces that you see on the screen right here, Okay. First one is Disney, second one, Ray Kroc, third one, Doris Christopher. Okay. These are three high-profile people that we all know. Well, if you haven't ever studied Walt Disney's journey to becoming a business owner, he went bankrupt. He had really hard times. And when he started Disneyland, it was during the Great Depression. So no bank would give him money. But see, one good thing is he had created his own bank. So when he wanted to start Disneyland, he took a loan from his bank, which is truly how Disneyland started. Ray Kroc, one day, you know, if you guys watched the movie Founder, somebody told him, hey, we're not in the hamburger business. We need to be in the real estate business. Well, that took some money. And uh, Ronald McDonald took some money, the marketing campaign. So what did he do? He had his own bank. So he took a loan from his bank. because Nobody else wanted to give him that, that money for that dream. Doris Christopher started her company with a loan from her bank. And I could go on and on and on and on, but you get the drift. In order to be your own bank, the first thing we all must understand is, what does a bank do? And I think most of you probably understand this. Forget about the fiat part. Forget about the fractional reserve banking and all that bullshit that goes on. Let's just get down to the brass tacks of how a bank's function and fundamentally how they make money should work. First thing is, is, somehow they've convinced us that the best thing we should do with our hard-earned dollars is give it to the bank. Let's go deposit the money in the bank. So in this example, if you put $100,000 into the bank and you found yourself a really good bank that paid you 4%, that would feel good. When we make deposits in banks, it always feels good because it's an asset to us. That deposit account is an asset. But to the bank, it's a liability. But banks have gotten really good. Maybe they all read Robert Kiyosaki's book. They've gotten good at turning liabilities into assets by making that money go to work for them and lending it out. And they always lend money out at a higher percentage than what they pay on it. Now, I know the 4% number is a fictitious number, but the funny thing is I've been doing this presentation for a long time, probably hundreds and hundreds of times. And I've always had to tell people, ignore the numbers on the screen because I know 7% is not a real number, but today (laughs) it's it's pretty freaking real or it will be real soon. So it finally, after all these years, the interest rates have come back to match my slide. But when the the bank lends money out on a mortgage, they take collateral, which is the house, and they give that seller the money. And the seller does the same thing they were taught to do, puts it back in the bank. So the bank turns it around, lends it back out on a car, charges 8%. You pay the dealer with the car loan, the dealer puts the money back in the bank. And round and round we go. You want a home remodel loan, the bank will give you a second position loan. They charge you a little more because it's higher interest. You pay the contractors. Well, maybe they put the money in the bank. Maybe they don't. That can go either way. But then you go to Las Vegas and you put it all on red. It hits black. Well, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas, so they say. So you don't tell your significant other. You just rush over to the bank. You get one of those debt consolidation loans, which has zero collateral. So the bank robs you blind, charges you 12%. You pay the credit cards off, and the money goes back into the bank. Who's in control of every one of these transactions? Is it you? Because it was your money initially. No, it's the bank that's in control of every transaction shown on here. You had zero say in it, but yet you worked for the money the bank didn't. Second thing is how much risk did the bank actually take? Well, very little because every one of these is collateralized in one way or the other, except for the debt consolidation loan. But they charged enough where they're going to self-insure that deal. So if we really look at how a bank makes money, the math is right on the screen. It's on a spread. Every transaction the bank does, the bank is making a spread. They're paying you a certain interest rate because they've taught you to just park your money there, leave it sit so that you can earn compound interest at whatever rate they charge. And then what they do is they make your money go to work and move that money over and over and over again. And each time they make a spread. And if we did the math on that, the net number that the bank makes here is 20% because four minus every one of those numbers is 20% when added up. So you made four, and you thought that was really freaking good. Oh, man, 4%. I wish I could find a bank that paid me 4%. But the bank's laughing because they made 20. Matter of fact, the bank didn't make 20. If we really looked at how much more money the bank made than you, we'd have to do one more math equation here. We'd have to take the 4% they're paying you, divide it into the 20% that they're they're making net. And what we would find is the bank didn't make 20%. The bank made five times more than you did. That's 5 hundred percent i say this to people and people are like no way no way that isn't true well and then i'm i'm just like okay well you know how i learned this bauerfinancial.com put in any bank for any time and you'll see that that's exactly what it is all right so let's get back right into it okay the machine
0: hey chris real quick how do you sell bauer's b-a-u-e-r or b-o-w yep
1: yeah, b-a-u-e-r financial.com yes sir good question and folks, just because this is a, a small open group, if you have questions, shoot them out there. But what I want to do now is I want to move over to the machine. Okay, So if we're going to create our own banking system, and we're going to make a spread instead of the bank making the spread, and we're going to move our money into a, a machine, a place that is going to provide us several benefits. Number one, I'll just give you some of the high-level things of what this machine is going to give you. First off, it's going to give you a guarantee, guaranteed contractual interest rate. For any of you that like have spent time in Wall Street, like that word was a swear word. You ever use the G word? You're, you're, they'll literally, they'll cut your balls off. Like that's how bad it was. You didn't use that word in Wall Street. So now I use it all the time. Guaranteed, guaranteed, guaranteed. That's right. Your bank is going to be guaranteed contractually. Second thing your bank's going to do is your bank is going to, it's going to earn compound interest, but we're going to add a word in front of the compound interest because let's make this really good. This is called uninterrupted. So instead of just earning compound interest where your money's got to sit, we're going to earn uninterrupted compound interest. In other words, we're going to put money into our bank. And then just like you saw in that bank example, we're going to take money out and we're going to lend that money out. We're going to buy houses and cars. We're going to use it for all the things that we normally would go to somebody else's bank. But the one thing that this bank isn't going to do is it's not going to interrupt the flow of the compound interest you earn. Because remember, they're paying you a guaranteed interest rate. And we don't want to stop earning that guaranteed interest rate just because we want to take money out of our bank and go make that money work for us and make more. Hell no, we want to make money twice instead of once. So this bank's going to allow you to do that. This is going to be a tax free environment where your money is going to grow. And every single year, depending on the profitability of the, the place where your machine sits, you're going to get a dividend. And the dividend is going to be nothing more than a return of unused money, which really is what a dividend is for a stock company. It's it's a return of the unused money that the company didn't spend. So we're going to get a dividend every year. So now we got a guaranteed interest rate plus a dividend. It's tax-free. We're going to earn uninterrupted compound interest and how one more thing, let's protect all of this money from judgments and liens. Even if it's outside of the the trust structure, which if it's in, that's ultimate. You know, but even outside, we're going to still give you that protection. And then if you die, which we're all going to die, your family, why don't we just give them a bump up Okay, why don't we just, you know, in the stock world, we used to call it a, you know, the basis, a step up in basis or, but here we're just going to say, I don't know, let's give you 10x what your account value is. So if I told you all those things, you'd be like, damn, man, what kind of an account is that? I need me one of those. Well, that account's always been around, except for the what you've known about it and how you've heard about it is probably not the way we use it. So let me just break out and tell you what your bank's going to be built on, because it's only going to involve one change. This whole thing takes one change in what you do today, and that change is where your money goes first. Instead of giving your money to Wall Street, instead of giving your money to the banks, we're going to change where your money goes first, and then we're going to carry on and do everything like we normally would. Fair enough? One change is it. And that one change is where the money goes first. So it's going to have to go into your own bank, this machine. And this machine is a dividend-paying whole life insurance policy from a mutually-owned company. Now, as soon as I say that, I always watch the numbers. We got 19 people. Usually, it'll drop down to 18 because somebody will make an excuse and say, I had to go to the bathroom. No, no, you didn't have to go to the bathroom. You've been lied to, and you've been told by Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey that whole life is the worst place you can put your money. And I would agree with both of those those bumbling messes out there, Dave and Susie. Whole life in its traditional form is an overpriced, useful life insurance plan. But you know what I was taught in Wall Street was buy term, invest the difference. Why why are you buying that whole life stuff? That's crap. That's expensive life insurance. Let's buy some term. Then we'll put your money in one of our managed accounts. And I'm only going to charge you one or 1.25%. And life's going to be good because you're going to make more money in that that managed account than you're ever going to make on a whole life plan. But see, here's what I never knew. I never knew that there wasn't just one way to buy a whole life. See, when you buy a whole life insurance policy from your broke ass brother-in-law, I promise you one thing. You're going to get an overpriced life insurance plan. Sure, it'll last your whole life, but you're going to, it's going to be expensive. Your broke-ass brother-in-law isn't going to be as broke anymore because they're going to get a big old fat commission. What we do with this, I would first have to ask you, do you know who the number one purchaser of whole life is in the world? Well, if you did the research, and you, I'll give it to you, it's BOLI, B-O-L-I. You can put that in the chat or write it down. It stands for bank-owned life insurance. Traditional banks are the number one purchasers of whole life insurance in the world. And a lot of you still don't believe me on that, so what the hell, let's just prove it. Here's the top five banks in this country, all referenced by FDIC.gov. You can look at it up yourself. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, U.S. Bank, PNC Bank. And the total of just the five is 75 billion. If we did all the banks in this country, it's, it's in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Actually, it's probably not too far off of a trillion now. So then I'd have to ask you, why would banks buy whole life insurance and and not all the things that banks want to sell you? How come banks aren't buying CDs? How come banks aren't buying term? How come banks aren't buying all the things they're trying to sell you? It's because they know something you don't know. And here's what they know. They know that you can take this machine, a whole life policy, and you can take it from a contractual level and build it backwards. You can build it upside down so that it isn't an overpriced life insurance plan, it works just like a bank account. Really, it works just like a savings. If we can manage to basically go to the insurance company and reduce the death benefit, which is where all the cost is, to the absolute lowest level, stuff as much money we can into that contract in that insurance company's general account, so we reduce the fees down to the lowest level, which is the cost, and then we increase the amount of money we're putting into that guaranteed general account, what we've now created, is a really bad-ass place to put your money. But there's there's a problem with that. And the reason why I never learned about this as an advisor, and I'll tell you what that problem is. To do that, if any of you know how insurance works, what I've just done is ruined that big old fat commission that I would get as the agent or the advisor creating this whole life policy. Because by reducing the death benefit down, let's just say I reduce it down, I don't know, 80, 90%. I just cut my commission by sixty to ninety percent, and I bet you you'd have a hard time finding an agent or a financial advisor that would be willing to give up sixty to ninety percent of their income. Go ask them. Ask your advisor. Hey man, I want to set up a whole life, but here before you say getting excited and start drooling, I want you to, I want you to give me ninety percent of your commission. Now they really can't do that, but say I want you to reduce your commission by ninety percent so that I have 90% more money to use immediately in the first 30 days. And then just sit back and and just don't say a word and just listen to the response. Oh, that's silly. You can't do that. That's not even allowed. Lie. And then they'll give you a whole suite of different reasons as to why they can't do it. You know why they can't do it? Because they never learned how. And even if they did learn how, they probably don't want to give up 90% of that big old fat commission they get with a whole life. Folks, I'm going long on this because I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that this whole life that we designed for being your own bank looks nothing like a whole life. And I'll show you the numbers in a second. It actually help. Let me just give them to you right here. Looks nothing like a regular whole life functions. Nothing like a regular whole life gives you liquidity of your money anywhere between 80 to 90%. Okay. Immediately in the first year or immediately in the first 30 days, when people say, well, if I put money into this thing, when can I take it out? Well, let's just look here. This, these numbers on the screen, and I don't mean to give you a analysis by paralysis with numbers but some of you like numbers and I'm just a math guy okay ex wall street guy we were taught on math really well this is a real client his name is Kevin okay this company is Lafayette life okay I normally don't give that but in a small group I will so you guys can look up Lafayette life you'll find out they're one of the top 5 mutually owned insurance companies out there there's they've always paid dividends for over 100 and, I don't know 40 years or something but let's just let's just get to the numbers. This is a really small account. And the dollars that you can put into these can be any number you want. I just had a big real estate developer put 2.55 million dollars into one, but let's just use a small one. This Kevin, he had 50 grand. Kevin's a real estate investor, he's new to the game, he's 38 years old, and he had 50 grand sitting in a bank account. He had a little bit more, but let's just say 50 grand was earmarked for something in the future, buying a piece of real estate. So he said, "You know what, Chris, I, I really like what you're talking about." What if I take my 50 grand and I just take it out of their bank and I put it into my bank? Can I do that? I said, yes. We're going to call that a dump in. Okay. You can see right there 50 grand moved from his right hand to his left hand because he got sick of what the bank was paying and he wanted a higher interest rate. And with this company, interest and dividends is 5.2% as of 2022 right now. Okay. So he wanted to make 5.2%. Secondarily, he said, well, I want to put money in every month. Every month I'm saving money. And the number is a weird number here. I don't remember why it came out to be this, but he wanted to put 500 bucks a month in, and the max we could really get in for him was 491.25 a month. So he's gonna save 491.25 or 58.95 a year. Okay, everybody's with me. In the first year, Kevin will have put in 55,895. You can all see that from the screen, right? 50,000 dump in, 491 a month, which means 58.95 in the first year. Now, here's the really crappy part about setting one of these banks up using a specially designed and engineered whole life. Kevin puts in 55895 And in the first year, Kevin's only got $51,554. Does anyone see a discrepancy there? Like he puts in 55 and he can only take out 51. So if, if some of you can't live with that, I totally understand. This isn't for you. Because you must be one of those people that puts money in the bank account. And then before the end of the year, before December 31st, you rush back into the bank. You say, oh, I'm glad I caught you before you closed. I need to take all my money out of this bank just so I can say I did it. I bet you none of you do that. So Kevin put 55 in and you could only take 51 out. But now let's, let's just do some simple math. I bet you somebody on here, I bet you one of you could use 50 grand today as a loan, right? If one of you needed a loan for 50 grand, do I got any takers at 10%? Anyone want to borrow 50 grand at 10%? There's got to be one of you. So I'm just going to pretend, uh, Garrett, you want 50 grand at 10%, okay? Didn't mean to pick somebody, but you're right there. So Garrett wants 50 grand. So Kevin immediately, let's just say this is in the first 30 days after his plan gets funded. Kevin meets Garrett. Garrett says, no, no 8%. Sorry, we're not doing 8% today. Did you you know that inflation's 8.3? Just, Sean, making sure you understand inflation's 8.3. I'm not lending money out at (laughs) 8. But I like where your head's at. All right. But Garrett is willing to pay 10. So Kevin takes 50 grand out of his account immediately in the first 30 days, but he's not going to take it as a withdrawal. He's going to take it as a loan. Okay. So that right there doesn't make sense the most because they're thinking why would i take a loan i don't want to pay a loan back great the insurance company will never ask you to pay that fifty thousand dollars back now do you want to take a loan well i don't know what do you mean they'll never ask me for it back well remember i talked about the guarantees the insurance company gave you first off they guarantee you a, a, a set interest rate okay a fixed contractual interest rate they guarantee you the second thing a whole life guarantees you contractually is that someday when you die They will pay a death benefit to your family. What the contract does not say is the contract does not say that you cannot use the death benefit while you're living. So that loan that Kevin's going to give to Garrett is a loan against his death benefit. The insurance company will gladly at any time without any questions, except for they'll ask you, are you money laundering? Are you going, is this part of a divorce decree? There's like four questions they'll ask. The last question is, where do you want us to send the money? That's it. You go into the bank and try to take 50 grand. Oh, sir, we need you to fill this form out in this form. Why do I need to fill all this out? Well, sir, you gave control of your money up to us. so now we got to make sure you're going to pay your taxes. We got to make sure you're not doing anything illegal. And we want to make this a real big pain in the ass for you. The insurance companies click this button, this button, this button. Cool. Where do you want the money sent? So 50 grand goes to Garrett at 10%, but the 50 grand was a loan against his death benefit. The insurance company allowed Kevin to leverage his death benefit and give that $50,000 loan to Garrett. Now, the insurance company, because they put gave that 50 grand out, which was death benefit, came from their general account. So Kevin had $55,895. 895, let's just use the full amount in his account, and he took 50 out. Most of you would do the math, you'd say 55, 895 minus 50, so he's got uh, 5895 left in there earning that 5.2% interest, right? Wrong. He's got $55,895 in his account because his money never left his account. The 50 grand was the insurance company giving part of the death benefit from their general account. Now, why would the insurance company do that? I promise it's not because they're super nice. It's because they're, business, they're a business that understands money and they charge interest on that 50 grand. Oh, and some of you are thinking, oh, Chris, I knew there was a catch. I knew it, even though the loan doesn't need to be paid back because when I die, they're gonna reduce the loan from my death benefit, I, I get that, but see, they're gonna charge me interest, see? They're getting me, they're screwing me, just the man's getting me somehow. But here's the thing, how much did I tell you that your money was earning? 5.2, uninterrupted. So you're compounding at a rate of 5.2. How much did the insurance company charge you for that loan? If it's this company, it's 4%. So what is 5.2 4 can anyone give me the math? 1.2%. You're making a 1.2% spread immediately. Now, every single year, Kevin's spread—if if Garrett just kept that money—Kevin's spread will go up every year, because remember how compound interest works. First year, Kevin's earning interest and dividends on the 55.895. But next year, Kevin's earning interest and dividends on the 55.895 plus interest and dividends on the interest he earned. And it just continues to compound. So his spread keeps going up. So let's look at the numbers. If we just come here to year two, so we already know how year one went, put 55 in, took 50 out, gave it to Garrett. He's now making money twice. Garrett's paying him 10 and he's making a spread like the good old fashioned bank does. But year two gets really interesting. Year two, he puts 58, 95 in at the end of the year. But because of all the compounding he had in the first year, forget about the 10%, that's on the side, okay? Let's just pretend that, uh, that Kevin went and just blew that 10%. Just the interest that the insurance company paid him in compound interest, his $58.95 in the second year, at the end of the year when he gets a dividend, is $71.41. He made $1,246 in the second year in pure net profit. That's net after cost of insurance. That's net after the policy service fee, which Lafayette, I think, is 50 bucks a year. So if we did the math, if we took 1,246, divided it into the amount of the deposit that year, and I know some of you are like, oh, you're doing the math wrong. It's not 58.95, it's 55, 8.95 plus 58.95. That's a cumulative return. That might work for 401ks. That might work when you're just giving your money up and leaving it sit. But in real estate and in what we do banking, the only return that matters is the return we make that year. Because remember the first year, we already took almost all that money out. So the second year, we put 58 in, we take 71 out. We literally made a cash-on-cash return of 21.14%. The math's right there on the screen. The fifth year, puts 58 in, takes 74 out. He made a 26% cash-on-cash. Year 10, puts 58 in, takes uh, 91 out. That's a $3,227 net return on his money, 54. So then if we just did the math and we said, okay, but the insurance company is going to charge me 4%, simple interest. What is 21 minus 4? 26 minus 4. 54 minus 4. 115 minus 4. The answer is none of you care. None of you care that you're paying the insurance company 4% because the insurance company gave you a cash on cash return that year of 21. And the insurance company the next year gave, and, and, and this is the other thing. The insurance company didn't give you anything. This is just mathematics. The insurance company gave you an interest rate and a dividend. That's all they care about. But that interest rate and dividend was able to do what no other account that I know of on earth outside of maybe a high net worth individual's margin account. But now you got the underlying risk, risk of stocks. The insurance company allowed you this environment where your money can grow uninterrupted. That's why these numbers are what they are. So any questions on that, feel free to put them in. I just blew you up with a bunch of numbers. But let me show you an application real quick. All of you like cars, I'm sure. I love cars. And when I first learned this, one of the things I was taught was how to get all the money back for every single car that I'm ever gonna buy, drive and own. I thought there's no way possible that can happen. But the first thing I had to do is say, okay, there's how many different ways can you buy a car? Well, I can pay cash for a car. Many of you might do that because you don't want car payments. I can finance a car for a bank or any other finance company and pay principal and interest monthly payments for the right to have the car. And after five years, I've paid the car off, but now my car is depreciated a lot. I can lease a car, which I think is idiotic. But if you lease a car, we've all done it. You make lower monthly payments, but then you got to give the car back and all the payments stay with the finance company. Whoever came up with leasing was brilliant. Man, we should really take, and, you know, take them out to have a drink to find out what else is in their mind. And the fourth way to buy a car is you can steal the car. But let's just, let's just take the first two right out of the hole. okay? If we we're going to pay cash for a car, we would have to save up for the car. So let's do that, okay? And I'm just gonna use round numbers, $10,000 a year. It doesn't matter if you put 10 in all at once or you know break it up over monthly payments or deposits, however you wanna do it. This person is gonna pay cash for the car. So they're gonna save 10,000 each year and I'm just gonna show for seven years. So in doing that in this machine, in this account, and these numbers are not what your numbers would be. These would be the worst numbers ever. And I'd be upset even showing you an account like this, but let's just look at the concept. We put 10 grand in for three years. That's 30 grand. We have 29,204 in our account. If we take the 25 plus the 42,04 there, that'd be 29,204. But we take the loan out in the third year to buy a $25,000 car. So the insurance company advanced us 25000 against their death benefit. They charge us interest on that. Some people would stop right there. But earlier, when I asked if you owned a bank, would you ever steal from your bank? You said no. So we're not going to steal from our bank. We took a twenty-five thousand dollar loan from our bank. What I do is I literally go to—I just did this—I um, just did this at Mercedes, and I did this in the past at Porsche. I went there and I we found a car we wanted, and I asked the the car person, the the finance manager, figure out what my lowest monthly payment is. They go back and forth, back and forth. Finally, they slide the piece of paper over. It's got a number on it. You're like, yeah, I'll do that. And then they get all the finance paperwork. But now, what I'd want you to imagine is when they bring you all that stack of finance paperwork. You just tell them, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I don't need this. Well, what do you mean? You just had us figure out a monthly payment. Yeah, I know. I needed to know how much to pay my bank back. Uh, We're paying cash for the car. Number one, you'd piss the dealership off because that's how they make their money is financing, but you'd feel pretty freaking good. How do I know? Because I've done this a couple of times. It's it's invigorating. That's all I can tell you. But what I do is I take exactly what the bank tells me my monthly payment would be if I was going to pay their finance company And I just pay it back to my bank. $25,000 car at an interest rate, I think about 5%, works out to be about a $500 a month car payment. So every month I do a bill pay for $500, but I have that $500 bill pay pay back to my bank. My bank is what? Especially designed and engineered whole life. Okay, so now we understand what we're doing. We're not stealing from our bank. We're paying our bank back with interest. But the coolest part about paying your bank back is you're in control of your bank. You own your bank. Every one of those $500 monthly payments you make on that car that you just bought, that $500 is available the next day when the check clears. It's your bank. It's your money. It's your terms. So now that we all understand that, let's just do the math. Seven years, we put $70,000 into our banking system. We bought a car and we paid our bank back $500 a month or $30,000 over that period of time, five years. So our net injection into our banking system is $100,000. But we did take 25,000 out. So we got to subtract that from the net injection because we bought the car. So our true net injection is $75,000. If anyone finds any math errors, please let me know. But I've done this hundreds of times and think we're good. So if we just look at our net injection, 75 grand, and we look at our cash value in our whole life in the seventh year, it's 67,881. Remember, this is not a normal whole life. No normal whole life would ever look like this. So 67,881. We did the math, we made 91 cents back of every dollar that we spent for that first car we bought. And the car is bought and paid for in the driveway. We got 91 cents back. So, after five years, a car starts getting old, it needs tires, brakes, and it loses that new car smell. So, what do we got to do? We got to go buy a new car. So, the fifth year, we're going to go buy a new car. But in this example, I'm not going to show any new deposits just for simple illustration purposes. I would never not deposit money in the bank. Okay. Because in a second, I'll show you why. We buy another car, 25 grand, same thing. We repay our bank back, $500 a month, just like we did before. And then at the end of the 12th year, we have two cars in our driveway bought and paid for. We didn't put any deposits into our bank. We repaid our bank back for that second car, $30,000. We bought a car, so our true net injection from years eight to 12 is five grand. So if we did the math from year seven to year 12, our account has grown twenty-three thousand five hundred ninety-two dollars, but that's not the important number. The important number would be our net injection: seventy-five plus five. It's eighty grand. We put eighty thousand dollars total into our banking system. In our driveway sits two vehicles. One is five years old. One is ten. Both have value, but we don't have to sell them. So then we look in our twelfth year at our cash value. We got ninety-one thousand four hundred seventy-three. That is $11,473 more than what we deposited net into our banking system. So we effectively made $11,000 plus have two cars bought and paid for. And all we did was change where our money went. And we treated our money the same way we treat the bank's money. This is how you get every money back or all the money back for every car you buy, drive, and own. I've got videos on YouTube showing how I've done this with Porsches. I show how I did this with my G-Wagon. But instead of just getting all the money back, my accountant said, hey, we need write-offs. So I said, okay, well, what do we need to do? He said, well, do you want to lease a vehicle? I said, can I take a vehicle that I already own personally? And can I lease that vehicle to my company? And he said, well, yeah, I just have an attorney draft up a legal lease. So I went to my corporate attorney. I said, hey, can you draft me a lease? He said, what are the terms? I went to bankrate.com. They got a, a lease calculator. i Did the same lease calculator, I figured out what my monthly payment was. I sent that to the attorney, he did the lease, boom. I leased my vehicle to my company and my company now paid for the vehicle. Now, what my company did is my company wrote that off. Sure, the money coming back to me was taxable, so let's just say that's a a wash. If you guys understand how the 1041 tax structure works, uh, I think you'd understand that that wouldn't be the case, but we'll just leave that for another day. All I'm saying is, once you learn how to get all the money back, The world is yours beyond that. There was three things that I did different to make that happen. First, I paid myself first. I saved money. I didn't spend all the money that I earned like some people. Number two, I paid myself with interest. I treated my money the same way I would have treated any other bank's money. Okay. And number three, I recycled and recaptured all the money that today I normally would have given away. Because the way I used to buy cars is I'd go to the local bank or credit union and I'd finance the car. All I did is I went to my bank this time, and I financed the car through my bank. All the numbers are the same. Nothing changed. So if it works for a car, what else does it work for? Well, I can tell you personally, we bought a plane with this, a Pilatus PC-12, fully financed with our banking system. That was a big one. And that works the same way. And here's how it works. Let's just draw a circle, okay? I'm just going to show you exactly how this works. This is actually one of my old policies. It was a smaller one. I put 25 grand into a policy, Okay, 25 grand. I immediately took a loan for 23,000 out. Now forget about this loan thing, it's 4%. That's what the rates are today. And the segregated account, don't let that get you screwed up. All I did is I created, I read profit first. So everything to me is a segregated account. I went to my bank and I created a new bank account just for my banking activity. That's all the segregated account is. And what I first did is, when I was doing a lot of real estate, I, I had lines of credit with Keybank, which is a, a bank around here. I don't know if you guys have them in your area, but I had a line of credit, an unsecured line that they, they charged me nine percent, and I owed them exactly 23 grand. So I put 25 in, I immediately took 23 out and I paid off Keybank. Now I used to pay Keybank 289 dollars a month. that was principal and interest at nine percent on that line of credit. All I did when I paid Keybank off is I changed the name on the check. I went into bill pay and I, Erased key bank, and I wrote Chris Noggle. And in the memo, I put Chris Noggle's bank number three, because this was, I think, my third or fourth policy. And then I make that payment go back to my bank. All we got here is a circle, folks. It's just a circle. Your money starts on the left. It moves over to the right, where it can go to work for you at a higher interest rate than what the cost of that money is. If it's four, I'm making nine. I'm making spread, okay? So I'm making a spread there, but I'm actually making more than a spread because that's one spread, okay? or I could do the 5.2 minus the four, that's the second spread. Every way we do this, no matter how you chalk it up, you're making money twice, every single time. So this is just one example. Another example would be that car example with my G-Wagon. Okay, bought the car with the G-Wagon, that policy that I had that I did the G-Wagon with had a higher interest rate at 5%. So I'm just giving you real numbers. So I paid 5% interest to the insurance company for the car, I leased the car to my company, My company made payments back to me, and then I basically paid for the vehicle. And just last year, I sold that G-Wagon for a ridiculous price because, well, they were in high demand. And then I just went back out and bought another one and paid way too much for that. So that was pretty stupid, but I never said I was the smartest guy. Then here, this is something that I do every single day. Okay, Same example. Let's say I had that same policy, 25 grand. I can take 23 out. It's about 90%. And then over here, there's this thing called private money club. It's a dating site for money. It's people with money meet people that need money in the real estate world, okay? So I just lend 23 grand on a real estate deal. Now, Sean was willing to pay me eight, but I found somebody that was willing to pay me 12. Okay, let's say Darren wanted to give me 12% on my money. So I lend it to him through private money club on his real estate deal. And then he pays me interest payments monthly back. There's your circle. I made money twice. I made 12% from Sean, or I'm sorry, Darren. Darren's paying me 12%. So Darren's giving me 12% interest payments, but then I made a spread over here. But the best part is, is if Darren keeps my money more than a year, next year, I make a bigger spread. And the next year I make an even bigger spread and an even bigger spread. And and that spread keeps going up. So let's come back to this Kevin's policy, because I want to show you the spread. You can see that spread right here. 21% in the second year was just cash on cash. 21 minus four is, you know, you guys can do the math. Okay, 21 minus, or four minus 26, four minus 54. See, I did this in five-year increments, not even four-year increments or however you want to look at it, four years and then five years. But every single year, this number just goes up. I can't do anything else. There's no time in history or no time that you will ever bank or do what I'm showing you that the numbers will do anything but go one direction if you use a specially designed whole life because the only way they can go is up. The only Every day you live, you'll have more money than you did, than you did the day before. And it doesn't matter if the financial markets you know, crumble. It doesn't matter if we're in the next Great Depression next year. It doesn't make a difference because insurance companies through the test, have stood the test of time. They always have. Contractually, they are obligated to pay you that interest rate, and they've never not paid a dividend every single year they've been open, okay, which means through the Great Depression. So if if they paid dividends through the great depression, which enabled Walt Disney to start Disneyland, what makes you think that this time they're not gonna pay dividends? Well, they are, and they will, and they always will. So with that being said, I have tons and tons of videos. This is really old, but you know we got a YouTube channel that we put a ton of content up on. You can go on there and you can subscribe to that. Or if any of you are really interested, I mean, you can get the info from JP, but we could set up a call. Uh, This is the link to do that. You can text it. We got all sorts of ways to get in touch with us. But I'm just going to stop my share here real quick. I did. I didn't do a a presentation, but I wanted to leave time for questions.
2: Uh, This is Greg. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah. How are you? Okay. Good. Hey, I have a
2: question about the the loan piece. So, uh, so you take the loan out. um, You you're going to get charged four percent, right? You're meaning. You take the loan out, they're going to charge you 4%. So as it, say you don't pay it back, as you continue to pay into it, correct? They're taking their 4% out of the money you're paying into it, correct? Assuming you don't pay it back?
1: Uh, the 4% cost for the loan could be paid anyway. Really how it works in, in real life is once a year, the insurance company will send you your premium deposit request, you know, which is the statement saying, hey, your premiums are due. If you do premiums monthly, they'll just send you a form at the end of the year, which is your statement of your account. And on there, it'll say loan interest due. So one time per year, you'll get a statement for that loan interest here. And you can then pay it just by writing a check for it. That's how I do it. Uh, You could take whatever that money earns. We'll just use the 10% real estate deal over here. You could take that 10%. And then instead of having it all go back in, you could basically use that segregated account and just keep the 4% here, take the difference of the 6% put it back to your policy so you can do it any which way like that
2: right but you have to actively be like the only way this thing to me that like it works you have to be actively investing the money right because if oh, you take it out, here? You don't pay it back you're just losing four percent to the insurance company if you don't actively create arbitrage
1: you want right? to create the arbitrage but no if, if you well i don't know why you'd ever just take a loan and not do anything with it i mean would That'd be kind of silly. So you're you're basically saying if I took a loan out, so let's just use round numbers. I got 100K in here. I take a loan for 100K and then I don't do anything with it. I just blow it. I go to the casino, put it all on red and it it hits black. So now you got nothing. You got no money. So you're never going to pay that loan back. The insurance company doesn't care if you ever pay it back. But now you're basically going to be charged every year at a rate of 4%. But even in this occasion, okay, in the first two years, you'd lose money, maybe even three years. But remember the insurance company, depending on which company we use, it's right now in 2022 with dividend, you're earning 5.2 to 6%. Okay. So that's still more than what the cost is. So even right. in that situation, you're still ahead of the game. But the first two to three years, you'd be you'd be burning money. So yes, you always want to try to create some type of opportunity where your money is going to go and work for you. Just like so, uh, the, the other piece to this that
2: that i guess is i haven't been able to get an answer for i don't understand is you know with the inflation going up right the dollars are losing value relative to what you can purchase so it seems like it behooves you to invest in something that's gaining value with inflation but if you don't if you don't do that having it in the policy you're actually losing money in that regard so you need to put it to work is that a correct statement? It's like the inflation thing gets weird with me, like holding it in the policy while there's raging inflation, while you're saving to use it in a bank kind of scenario. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, it's really simple. There's not much to talk about. Let me ask you this. Where can you keep your money guaranteed or it's going to beat inflation right now?
2: Where it's gonna be there's no there, there's no place I know like a house, real estate or something. No, like no, that.
1: guaranteed, guaranteed. Oh, guaranteed. Where, where's the where can you put your money today where it has a contractual guarantee of some type? Just the whole life
2: inflation. policy at, at the but, at, but, at, but no, the
1: whole yeah. life you just said isn't gonna beat inflation, which you're absolutely correct. Even even with the six percent plan, you're still losing to inflation. Right. Okay, so does that that answers the first part of the question, right? You know, why would I put money in the whole life when I'm losing to inflation at 8.3? Well, I guess
2: my point is that money, instead of being in the policy, doing 6%, wouldn't it be better, sir, putting it into the, an asset, which-
1: Yeah. So and not you, just, you take because it out, you take it out it, and put it in an asset.
2: Right. But then if you're paying it back, you're just putting cash into something that's losing faster than what the asset is. So why wouldn't you just leave it in the asset-
1: well, because, well, you could just buy the asset and leave it in the asset. But let's just say you buy a rental. OK, let's just I'm just and I'm I'm just playing along because this is great. And and I'm I'm not trying to do anything other than have everybody learn and you learn, too. So you put the money into a rental. What's the rental going to give you?
2: Maybe you'll just say, for example, your cash flow in a thousand bucks a month.
1: OK, so you got a thousand bucks. Where are you going to put that thousand bucks?
2: Well, you're probably going to end up. Putting in an account, right? Because you're waiting for your next opportunity.
1: Yeah. So what what are your options for this thousand dollars today?
2: I mean, you put it to work. I mean, I don't know. You could trade yeah. options.
1: Yeah, you could trade options, all that stuff. But again, let's just keep it simple. That money's got to go somewhere. So most people would put it into a bank account, would they not? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Bank account's going to pay you less than one percent today. So instead of putting it into a bank account. What if we just changed where that $1,000 went? Sorry, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to your point here with the options. We've take that 1000 bucks and we start repaying that loan down. Yep. So now that 4% burn, we're paying 4% on a lower amount every single month. But now remember, this $1,000 that you put back over into your account gave you liquidity of an extra $1,000. So let's just say now, here, forget about this here real quick. Okay, we did that. Now we're gonna take $1,000 every single month, or even let's just say it's $900 a month, and we're gonna put that at TD Ameritrade, okay? And we're gonna pull up our think and swim, or think or swim, not, I don't know why the and, think or swim account, and we're gonna trade options on that money. Do you realize you, everything you just kind of gave me is, a, is kind of a place where you could put it? You can do the exact yeah. same thing. It's the yeah. same idea. So the 900 or even if I just I'm just being realistic, even if it was a thousand for simple math here, folks, you you probably wouldn't be able to do the full amount because you'd you'd have this piece. But if it was a thousand, you own the house the same way you would if you had the money first in a bank account. But now that 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 property produced income instead of putting that income over into somebody else's bank, which pays you less than 1%, you said, no, that doesn't make mathematical sense. I'm going to take that money and put it back over here because yeah. at least then I'm, I I know on that 1,000, I'm paying 4% or I'm saving 4%, but I need that money to still make more. So you take it out and you do options or for some of you, maybe it's futures. For some of you, that maybe makes it's 4%. Thanks, yeah. thanks for going through. I just, for some reason, that, I was, That was phenomenal. Like literally like, that right there was worth the ticket you guys all paid to be here today. I'm just, <laughs> so thank you, Greg. That was fantastic.
0: Hey, Chris. Um, what if that thousand uh, dollars just went to pay down the house, the rental?
1: See, yeah, it could. I so mean, we could we could just do that,
0: accelerate that loan, and then what we have is a a loan that continues to have a smaller balance, but we keep compounding interest at six percent.
1: There's really no wrong. I mean, they call it the infinite banking concept because really. There isn't a wrong way to do it as long as you treat your money the same as you would treat the bank's money. You don't steal from the bank. And it's kind of like we can try to steal from the bank and make it not work. And I get it. Like eight point three, I get I have no idea what just happened. This is what technology does. Shuts off on you. But you know, at eight point three percent, I get this all the time. Well, why would I ever put money in one of these things when eight inflation's eight point three and I can, you know, I'm I'm only earning six or whatever it is. And my answer is like, okay, what are your options? And you know what people tell me? Well, I'm I'm going to put my money in the S and P 500. This is months and months ago, and and I wish I had their phone number because I'd pick my phone up and I'd be like, hey, smart ass. hey, how's that S and P 500 investment that was like there to beat that inflation doing for you, you son of a bitch? It,
0: hey,
2: Chris, like- I got one more question. Like, um, so I have a I have a whole life policy. It, it took me like two or three years to get where hundred percent of what I pay into it to be clear, like not how many years. I think it was like two or three years where now every, every amount that I'm paying, it fully goes right to the, um, the paid up edition or, or not. No.
1: Sounds like it's it built the right. Catch,
2: the catch value. Right. Uh, why? You mentioned something about doing readjusting it, how it's organized so that more is available sooner. Is this, does that have to do with the death benefit or something like in, in mind relative to, to like what you're talking about?
1: Yours sounds like a pretty good design. If your, your plan was break even to year two or three, that's actually a pretty good design. I, my next question would be how much did you have available in the, the first year to take out or the first 30 days? You know, if it was anything less than 60%, it's probably not built right or optimum. optimum no, I think it was be- that I, I believe
2: it was that, I it mean, I didn't
1: take it out until recently, but, okay. um, um, the, how it kind of works, and you know, we're just trying to get the board because so I'm very visual. How it works is really what we're doing is we're putting the lowest death benefit on, and we're stuffing the most amount of money. Your plan is built like that. I, I can just tell by what you just said. Now, to make it really optimum, what we would do is actually put the death benefit even lower and then Mm -hmm. support whatever we need for the IRS rules, which are called the MAC rules with term insurance. We'd put a seven year term on there and then that would support whatever the IRS needs for the seven years, but it does it at a very low cost. You know, if you're, I would say under 60, 65, then it now your cost for the insurance is even less, but we now have satisfied what the IRS needs us to do. Thanks Um,
0: man. And and that would be how
1: we build them. Chris,
0: if somebody has life insurance right now, And they happen to have it in a company that your group manages. Are you able to look at those policies and restructure them? Or once they're purchased, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, typically what we always say is if you've got a whole life, even if it's not built the right way, there's probably nothing we're going to do. I know there's a lot of folks out there that would be like, oh, yeah, we can replace this. I mean, if any of you have been, uh, you know, with an advisor that's telling you all about these great IUL plans, which are not so great, but, you know, they do, they're happy to replace whole lives left and right and center. Our company would never do that. I would never replace a whole life just out of pure principle, because even a bad whole life in the future will be a decent whole life. Okay. We'll have more money probably than any IUL you'll build. Um, But we can look at any policy. I'll I'll look at your IULs. We have a resident expert on IULs who comes from literally behind the scenes, like used to design them with the company uh, in the back end, and he knows everything. So he is who we uh, consult with for IUL. Okay. So I'll look at any one and give you my honest opinion on right. them, but it will never be to replace it.
0: Okay. Um, uh, I've got a series of questions, guys. It's going to add a ton of value, Greg. So I'll let you jump in, but let me, let me do this. Um, the, what is the top marginal tax rate these days? Federal? Do you know roughly?
1: Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I think I, I don't know the Zach forty-two percent. I was that, yeah forty-two. So, so the reason I,
0: the reason I bring that up is Greg's talking about this spread between the six and eight point two, right? But if you're inside the trust and foundation program, your marginal tax rate is going to go from forty-two percent to probably less than ten percent. So you're already being able to stuff that policy at six percent. You've already saved a tremendous amount of money. Am I am I looking at that wrong, Chris?
1: No, you're not. I mean, okay. I, and I wasn't I wasn't playing the taxes in just because I'm just right. You, that's not that's work. not
0: that's not your game. That's my game. So I just want to point that out for for people. That I understand wondering. it fully. Yeah, this now is where Chris, this is where Chris and I glazed everybody over last few weeks ago.
1: JP, let me, let me explain one other thing. Any of you that you know get into the, the 1041 tax structure, one of the cool things is, now let's just say this policy over here that we've designed to meet, you know personally to meet the MAC rules, which limits the amount of money we can put in for the amount of death benefit. What if none of that mattered? Because inside the corpus of the trust, if the trust owns your policy, none of those MAC rules matter so, because it's all tax-free inside there. So now we don't care if we create a MEC. So now for us, this is like a wet dream for us. Explain what a MEC is. Explain
0: what the MEC MEC penalty is or
1: whatever. Well, a MEC stands for Modified Endowment Contract. Now, let me take you back to where this was. Prior to 1988, okay, from the start of the tax code in 1913 to 1988, there was never ever one change to the tax code and how it is applied for life insurance. Okay, I want you to really think about that. So where did the wealthy put their money? Well, prior to 1913, life insurance, whole life specifically, because that's all there was. 1913 comes around, they write the tax code. Some reason for somehow, life insurance just jumped over the tax code. wasn't There's nothing in there negative against life insurance. All the way to 1988, no changes, no negative changes to life insurance and how it's taxed. 1988, what happened, and you guys can go back in time, oil was doing pretty damn good in 1988. Oil tycoons were putting billions into whole life insurance and getting all those things that I said. The IRS caught wind of this and well they probably knew this but they came out and they said, "Well guys, hey listen. We get why you're doing what you're doing, but you see now the news has got this. Now everybody thinks like you guys are abusing the tax code, so now we got to do something." So they put together the max 7 pay rule. So what is the 7 pay? 7 pay stands for 7 years. In a policy when we design them, there is a period of time from years 1 through 7 that there's a test that the insurance company does. It's based on this rule. Based on how much money we're going to put in each year over seven years, the IRS is going to say that we need to have a certain amount of death benefit. We need X amount of death benefit to support how much premium we're going to put in just for seven years. They didn't say 10 years. They didn't say 20 years. They didn't say for life, just seven years. So for seven years, what we put in has to be a certain amount or we need to have more death benefit. Okay. So that's the MAC rule inside the trust corpus this none of this matters okay you can mech the hell out of the policy make it because mech if you go over the mech 7 pay like if we were to design your policy and it was it exceeded the mech rule your plan would be called the mech now it would be taxed just like a regular investment like like your Schwab account or your TD Ameritrade account when you make money you'd pay capital gains same thing if we violate this but in the trust it wouldn't matter so remember I was saying that about term insurance so we know that we've only got to have certain death benefit on for seven years. In year eight, we can get rid of this term insurance. So a lot of times what we do, we might only put 10% to 20% of the death benefit to base, which is what you always hear is the expensive part of a whole life, the base death benefit. Then we might put 80 to 90% of that death benefit to a seven-year term rider, which is very inexpensive. I mean, if you don't believe me, look at what Dave Ramsey says. He loves term insurance. It's a cheap Cheap insurance, why spend money? So we took one from Dave Ramsey and we said, fine, man, we'll just build the policies with a lot of term insurance. And after the seventh year, we'll get rid of the term insurance. We'll drop it and all the costs go away. And then this rule doesn't apply to us anytime after the seventh year. Sorry, I gave you a lot more info than what you asked for, but that is a really important thing. And again, none of this matters inside the trust at all.
0: It, but exactly why is that, Chris? Can you explain why that is? Do you have any the,
1: the, the trust environment is a tax-free environment anyway. So who cares if you got a taxable max policy inside of a tax-free environment? It doesn't matter.
0: Okay. Because it becomes uh, the tax event becomes uh, uh, just a transaction within the corpus of the trust. Yeah. Is that the reason and
1: then it gets really cool. So now you got the, the policy, the life insurance policies owned by the trust. Okay. Forget about all this stuff. Now, all of a sudden you wanna repeat and do everything that you're doing before. You wanna to continue to invest the money. Oh, but it's in an irrevocable trust, I can't do that. Why can't you? Sure you can. You can make loans to another trust. Let's just say, you know, and this is backwards, but let's just say your business trust. You could basically have your business trust buy the real estate, have your business trust own the policy. Now everything happens in a completely tax-free environment. So now all that income from that rental stays in the trust corpus. All that real estate in the trust corpus was funded by your banking system. So you can see I'm not drawing this properly, but, and then hell, you could actually flow that down to your family trust. Some of that money then could pay for your personal house and renovations. And then anything you don't wanna pay taxes on at the end of the day, just makes its way into the foundation where the foundation can then make donations or what the foundation can do, just like Bill Gates, you know, in the Gates Foundation, the foundation can then lend money back up the line, just like banks do. They can loan money to your business trust to keep buying more real estate, keep doing more loans, keep buying more of those passive incomes, and round and round we go. And then, yes, you have to pay interest back to your foundation. So the foundation is now making money, and you're being a pretty good manager of that foundation, but you're doing everything in a tax-free environment.
0: I've drawn that thing 100 times myself. <laughs> it's glad to see, glad to see somebody only, else draw only- it.
1: Yeah. The only wrong part is this, like that, that that's inside the trust here. And then up here, you just got your holding company and your holding company. If you need money to live, well, this is where you take your 1040 income, but you gotta, you know, I like looking at this. Like if, if I had an amp for a guitar, I know I got like a little volume thing right here. And if I want to get crazy with my amp, I can turn that volume up and I can really let that thing rip. But if I don't want that much volume, I can turn that thing down. Well, that's, how you get to control your income that you pay tax on in this structure. All right. I'm doing is just adding one little piece to this structure so that now you got a place to keep your money in a guaranteed place like what Greg was saying where that money will never ever do anything but go up.
0: Awesome. Uh, I have a couple of guys on here that are either in SBA loans or are considering getting an SBA loan. Will you draw up how that might this system might work for them and then we'll probably We'll open up for a couple of questions, but we got to let Chris, uh, Chris hasn't eaten all day, so.
1: Yeah. All right. So SBA. So I'll, I'll just put this chart up. We got all sorts of like little things that we get to draw from. So here's your company. Let's just say your company gets an SBA loan. How much money do you want to do it for? it a million dollars. How much? A million bucks?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, We got a million dollar SBA back loan. Not a hard thing to get these days. I mean, hey, when they print 5.1 trillion, it's really not a difficult thing. So if your company got a million dollars from this SBA loan and let's just say it's meant to go somewhere and now you just learned about what I just said and you're like damn I wish that money wasn't in my company I I can't do one of those things well why not Instead of having the instead of personally having your policy owned let's shit that's not going to work let's just have your company own the policy You know who does this Samsung Apple I could go down the line but all of them do this It's called Coley. Instead of Bully, it's called Corporate Owned Life Insurance. It's the exact same thing as what I said. We design it the same way. There's some more, um, depending on the level, but for a million bucks, we get to have some real fun because now we can go to the insurance companies like One America. We got a whole nother division we can work with and we can say, hey, we got this big client, that one guy that I told you about with the 2.55. I need to custom design something really unique for this guy. So now we get to make, basically get into a whole other realm of designing it, but the company's going to own this. So you take the million bucks instead of just leaving it in somebody else's bank account, you know, because that's the one where your account is. So XYZ, you know, XZY, we'll do XYZ company. I don't want to do that. So XYZ company, and you got a bank account, which now has a million bucks. What we're going to do is we're just going to change where that million bucks is. And we're gonna put it into this specially designed whole life, which is now owned by your corporation. So what did you just do? Well, you just gave yourself a raise. How did you hurt yourself? You didn't because every time your company needs a loan or if the SBA ever asks for proof of where that money is and you just show them a statement that that money's sitting in a cash value whole life policy with a guarantee. Next time you guys um, get a loan from a bank, even an SBA back loan, one thing they're gonna ask you for is a personal financial statement. I often have one here. I just don't have one today. Look at the second line on the asset column. First line is always going to be cash on hand at bank. Second line, cash value, life insurance. Why is it the second line? Because that's the order of liquidity. The bank knows that the bank accounts first liquidity because they're holding the money. Second liquidity is life insurance, cash value, life insurance, specifically whole life. Don't do this with an IUL because they'll probably have a, a heyday. But the money's now in your policy, which is owned by your company. So on the balance sheet, you got your cash, and then you got your cash value life insurance, line one, line two. But now cash value life insurance got a million bucks. So now all you do is whatever you would have done with that SBA loan. We already went through this, right? So now we got that part out of the way. So now everything's owned by the company. Then you just distribute money from the policy, and that money goes over here to buy new equipment. Okay? Maybe you're in an equipment where you need trucks. Maybe you need you know, more trailers the haul stuff. I don't know what business you guys are in. Maybe you need copy machines okay, to make more copies for whatever the stuff is you do. You get it. Whatever you would normally have used this million dollars for, you do the same darn thing now. And if you were to have leased this copy machine, okay, if you were to have leased this truck or this trailer, you would have had to have made a payment back to somebody. So just now everything's owned inside the company. So really you've closed that circle, but now it's all just inside of your corporation. And the only thing I would add, is a separate bank account inside your corporation where all the flow of how you handle money from your policy and all the places where that money goes.
0: If if you had just and this is a total shoot from the hip number for you. So if we did this on a million dollar loan, we flowed everything through this system on a 10-year loan, SBA loan, how much, how how long would it, how much would that shorten the payback? A lot. We're, um, I got a
1: whole nother video. I, I didn't get into it today because I thought I was doing 30 minutes. I got a whole video that shows like how you can use this to pay down debts. So we did a chiropractor. He had $478,000 in debts, all different debts. There were seven of them. And uh, when we do, did the math, the amount he was saving was 25,000 a year. We just said, all right, what if we just pay the debts down with 25 grand a year instead of saving it? It would have taken him 19 years to pay all of his debts off at that rate because of the velocity of the interest he was losing. So by changing the way we did it and doing just what we're talking about here, putting it into the policy and structuring it, we were able to pay off all of his debts in six and a half years, and he didn't have to save any more money. So that's probably the best example I have. I have a bunch of case studies on my YouTube that show that. I don't have the math, and I don't have the credit. So if this would take you 10 years, I bet you any money, you'd probably be able to do it in six because you got, well, maybe even less, maybe even less than that, because with the interest that you've got compounding, that alone would cut time off. Yeah, I don't know. I, so, I could run I, that.
0: No, that's okay. I, I just just was curious on that. Um guess. Uh, got any quick questions before we have to cut Chris loose? He's he's given us more time than, than I than I told him we'd take him for. So Chris, if you need uh, to pull I the for him.
1: I love this stuff. So yeah, uh, any questions from anyone? Uh,
0: All right. these, um, what insurance
2: companies do you guys typically use? I heard one America, which I think I had one with them. Um, do you guys use anyone that the Lafayette?
1: Yep. So one America Lafayette life. Those are our two main ones because they're the most supportive of what we did or what we do. Uh, we, we, up until a week ago, we used Mass Mutual quite a bit for larger policies, but Mass Mutual came down and said, hey, we don't like this kind of business. So we don't want you doing infinite banking business anymore. Even though they have the products for it, they don't they don't want people putting money in and taking money right out. So they've now restricted the loans for the first year. So we're no longer writing with them. We replaced them with mass Mutual or sorry with uh, Guardian. And then we also use Penn Mutual. We can use Foresters, although I don't like their numbers, so I haven't used them. Security Mutual in New York is one we can use. I don't love their numbers, even though I own one. And uh, what's another company? I got Guardian. Did I say Penn Mutual? Those are pretty much the only ones we would use. But the, the big ones that we would use would be uh, in order, probably One America and Lafayette are pretty close to equal. Then after that, I would say we'd go to Penn and Guardian would be our next two. And then, I don't know, if for some reason we couldn't get somebody approved. We might go down the line to the rest. And the funny thing is there's a lot of mutually owned insurance companies out there. And I will tell you, and you, can, you guys can look this up, best, um, best mutually owned insurance companies for the infinite banking concept. You'll see a list of 10 of them come up. And in the, in the top five, all those ones I just mentioned are there. A lot of the companies, they just either don't support it. Their products don't, like New York Life and Northwestern Mutual, two of the biggest. Uh, you know, I spent some years at New York Life uh, in their RIA division, but they, they have a great whole life they don't like this business and they don't support it and their their systems for the loans don't work this way uh northwestern number one mutually owned insurance company out there i love the company from a strength standpoint they are the worst company to use for infinite banking because their loan rates are through the roof they just they they literally punish you for taking loans against your policy so that's why we always stick to the ones that we use great question
0: So Chris, you
2: said you can work with people who, like I have One America as my uh, company. Uh, the person I'm working with, we don't get into the nitty gritty stuff like this, not as much as I'd like. It's more about just make sure I'm pumping it full of money. Um,
1: how does that work? Does it, uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, so that's, that's where we're different. So the only thing we do is this. As a company, we're, we're one of the biggest in the country. Uh, we have 6,400 clients and we do one thing. That is it. Kind of like, you know, like JP, this is where we really hit it off. Like, you know, with his 1041 truck structure, he loves it. Like he just, he's deep into it. Well, infinite banking, this is all our company does. Every single person on our team, which we have 24 people right now, every one of them is using this because every one of them is, is, is seeing this change their life. Um, The other cool thing is, is like, you got one American out, great company. So we could review that. Let's just say you didn't want the current guy to, to kind of, You know, review it and do everything else. You can do an agent change or a a GA change. So we could become the servicing uh, company on your policy. It doesn't cost anything. That that agent doesn't lose a darn thing because we get paid nothing for doing that. Um, We typically won't do that unless somebody's doing another policy with us because it does take resources. Here's the other thing our company has, which I didn't get into here. All that stuff on the back end, if you think of a bank, you know, we did all these loans and all this crazy stuff. You're like, wow, I don't have time for that. I'm busy with my job. Great. Well, what if, what if, and this is the wrong slide to use, but what if you never had to do any of that? What if everything was handled by us? We have a team of four people dedicated. We call them our mapping team. What their sole job is, is for all 6,000 of our clients to serve as their back office. So when you start a policy and you want to take a loan, do the loan through the mapping, like they'll do all the the processing and everything. But when they do that, they'll log it into a we we got our own proprietary software that we've created. They'll put the loan in there and then you say, okay, well, I'm going to repay it back at a rate of six percent. Okay. We put the six percent in. And then what we can do once we know what you're going to use the money for every time you take a loan, we can map it out and we can show you two, we always go two years into the future because dividends can change. So two years is we know that it's pretty accurate. And we can show you exactly what the impact's going to be. That's why when JP said, what would that look like on an SBA loan, the repayment, I literally could tell you that because I can map it out for 10 years, but I, we usually just do it two years at a time, like two years. And then when you get to the second year, we go another year, another year, we do all that for free. We don't charge you anything and we don't charge anything for setting these up either. I mean, we get paid a commission by the insurance company. Our commissions are pretty crappy, but they, they don't suck when you got 6,000 clients. So I'll give you the math. So for every 10,000, one of our clients puts in, depending on how we design the policy, and we're always gonna design it around your needs, that normally, just so all of you know, if you did a regular whole life, 5,500 would be the commission that agent would make. But when we design them the way we do, it's gonna be about 387 to no more than, I think I just did this the other day. I was like, tw- we'll just put 1200 bucks, maybe a little bit more. That's gonna be our commission, okay? 387 to 1200 bucks, not 55. So when you do the math, between those, that's how much more money you're gonna have in your account because we built a plan to reduce our commission and the only other place that commission can go is back to our client's account.